1: Hello, and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name's Richard Porritt, and I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, snowflakes. Hello, hey, Richard. S- How are I, you? I'm good, thanks. You're not very good, are you? Well, I've, I'm a
2: bit... I don't know whether I've got a cold coming on or whether I've got an allergy. But Definitely little, not the rona. But as you can hear... I, no, it's not the rona, I don't think. But as you can hear, I'm a little bit bunged up. I'm, it, for older listeners, it is... I'm, I'm sounding, I think a bit like the old tunes advert with where the bloke goes up to the in the train station and he asks for a second class return to dottingham and ironically i I am already in nottingham so so i don't um i don't need to go to nottingham to to uh, to get an allergy to be booking a train to nottingham to get an allergy those
1: were good adverts tunes were like when i was a kid because tunes weren't sweets obviously but they looked like sweets and lockets lockets and yes. yeah, but they were expensive i think they were about 60p or something and i would always say oh can i get some tunes mom and she'd be like no therefore if you've got a cold you've got and cold, then yeah. yeah and if but if i was always delighted if i had a cold because i could get some tunes
2: well absolutely i mean it was the um it was also the the sort of the response of um, of certainly um certainly my parents when you went you know I think I've got a cold today. I don't think I'll be able to go to school. I'll just I'll just stay here. I'll be all right on my own. And, and you would be handed a couple of tunes and told to get on the bus. Yeah. So um, so <laughs> there you go. Um, I'm um, not feeling ready for the great British summer, though, I've got to say.
1: Well, um, well, indeed. We'll get to that. And we'll get to the news. This is the 199th episode of the new European podcast. And um, so 199 for you and 199... For me, Steve, to enjoy in the British summer. Amazing. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't um, it? So we'll, we'll get to that. We, uh, please do come to us for your news. And, of course, go to the New European website for your breaking news. But don't just rely on this podcast for your news because uh, lockdowns, they come and go. Holidays are cancelled and booked, um, depending on um, depending on which side of the cabinet table you're on. Um, and everything remains very much up in the air. We've got a super guest today. We've got Nick Cohen, who's written um, a, a really fascinating piece, actually, in the print edition of The New European, which is on sale now, yes. um, about sort of uh, – it's that perennial, isn't it? The rise of the right in Europe. And um, and uh, w- I think we see that again now on the back of um, coronavirus and, and that kind of thing. Incredible well, scenes. I'm looking at Poland, I'm looking
2: it, it now. I mean, Nick can, Nick will talk about it, but it's it's – it is kind of about whether the, um, you know, whether the, the the stuff with the EU, the missteps with the EU that we discussed last week, are opening the door to um, to, to the right wing and to populists in general at a time when you might have expected that that populism was um, was kind of a, a, a dying thing. Um, well, those so, pesky
1: yeah. those pesky populists, you see, they will take any chance they can, yes. to uh, to to get get. Get support for their cause, um, and then we will also uh, put some more people in the Hall of Shame. The hall of Shame. So that will be a lot of fun. Let's start though um, with a with a pooch, with a lovely pooch, Dylan the dog. Who who doesn't love Dylan the dog? Uh,
2: well, I, I quite like I quite like the, the look of the cut of Dylan the dog's jib, and I yeah. like those pictures of him frolicking in the snow. Yeah. But I'm not sure whether um, I'm not sure whether that should be the work of one of the official uh, photographers that are on the. Well, we're paying for them, aren't we? We're paying for three photographers on the government payroll. We're paying for Andy Parsons, yeah. who is a um, well, he's I mean He's a Fleet Street photographer, isn't he? And he gets, uh, I think he works a couple of days a week for the equivalent of a full time salary of a hundred grand a year. Um, they've just hired somebody else um, on 60 grand a year who's mm. who's full-time um, and there's also a photographer uh, who they've nicked from the Ministry of Defence and he th- these people are um, basically the, the, the ones who are producing the images of uh, the triumphant images of, of Boris Johnson that we have seen being leaked out the 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 sort of the, um, the, well, Andy Andy Parsons famously took the photo of Boris Johnson resigning, didn't he, like writing his letter of resignation um, when he resigned um, uh, and sort of knifed Theresa May. Um, Then he took the picture, uh, most recently, of of Boris Johnson with his hands in the air, didn't he, his fists in the air, when the Brexit deal was signed, which apparently was not on the signing of the deal. It wasn't on the, the words, we have a deal. It was when he spotted uh, David Frost in the background of Ursula von der Leyen's uh, webcam. Um, But we've got three people working, uh, taking propaganda photos of the government, essentially. um, And Allegra Stratton, who is the new prime minister's spokesperson, uh, has defended these pictures that were taken of Dylan the dog by these photographers. She said these photographers document the work of government Mm. and the work inside number 10. And I'm well, just I mean, wondering what specific role <laughs> Dylan the Dog does in government.
1: Well, I, I, to be honest, if, if he um, has got a role, I'd probably welcome that, because there are some people who he would replace without us really noticing um, around the Cabinet table, I think, and probably even improve um, on, on the job that they've been doing. The, the, there is a dog, I mean, a lot of this has been a dog's dinner. Is that a clue that <laughs> Dylan the Dog might be very influential behind the scenes? I mean, this is a, this is a, um, a debate actually. That's not a new one. Um, <clears throat> Andy Parsons was hired by David Cameron. Um, and at the time I worked for the press association at the time and Parsons is former PA. I think he's actually former of this parish out in the East. Um, but, uh, but I never actually worked with him and there was a, I think he's former of the PA or it might be his brother, but anyway, he very well known around Fleet Street, uh, Andy Parsons. And, um, And there was a lot of concern, especially at the Press Association, because they um, were often the ones who were invited in for those big moments. Because, obviously, those great pictures of a prime minister entering number 10 for the first time, you know, from inside. It's fair to not to, to you know, it would be unfair on on the staff who worked there and on the and on the incoming prime minister to allow 15 you know, photographers from each publication and how do you pick? So they do it much like the Royal Rota, as it's called, on a sort of pool basis. And the PA obviously provide their pictures to all newspapers. So that was the fair way to do it. The PA were very concerned that they were going to lose some of this access because of um, because of Andy Parsons being taken on. But I think their bigger concern, and a very uh, excellent editor of the Press Association at the time, Jonathan Grun, his main concern actually was the fact that are we actually going to see real, you know, real life or are these going to be edited? Are they going to be passed through the eyes of the Prime Minister before they go to the news desk? And, and the, uh, the answer to that is, is yes. Yes, absolutely. And the first real controversy, um, and there has been a couple, um, was, I think, a picture of Cameron uh, pictured outside the, um, I think it was Westminster Abbey. Um, looking at some poppies or something like that. Um, you know, w- w- it, there were suggestions that that was staged. You know, no other photographer was allowed to see that. It was it was a staged piece of photography. And it is a concern. And I honestly didn't think that the role would, would last, and it has. Um, and I guess that's because all the newspapers used those pictures, didn't they, of him with his hands in his hair, of the dog, of the, you know. So as long as they're being used, the government are going to carry on employing these photographers they um, are, yeah. i think um, it, it does it does i think that they it's been managed okay um because the pa didn't lose the access um uh, in the same way that it believed it would certainly not in those early days i can't speak about now but i believe that they still have decent access yeah um and i think i think that the argument sort of died down a little bit but maybe it's back now, you know. And I think it is. A, I think it's a very good argument. That's a lot of money on photographers. Well, it's, um, I mean,
2: it, it does. If we've got somebody, if we've got somebody pro rata for two days a week on, say, on a hundred grand, and we've got somebody full time on sixty grand, it does suggest that you know we're forking out. We, the taxpayer, are forking out around you know maybe it's a hundred thousand pounds a year essentially for people to take propaganda photos. Well is it the time current, for
1: the, the is, it t- is it time for our newspaper editors, um, Fleet Street newspaper editors to get together and say we ain't using any of these picks anymore. Well
2: maybe it maybe it is. Or we could just maybe we maybe they could hire somebody to, to commission huge murals of Boris Johnson <laughs> that we could put on you know in down line um, Whitehall with or, or or Oxford Street maybe or Piccadilly you know get him on the big screen in in um, in uh, in Piccadilly Circus and, and stuff like that, have him. Or maybe Boris Johnson waving good night to us on the. Yes. On the. You know, we could like have the, special like the, television. Leader in bananas at the end of. Uh, <laughs> was not not it's not bananas, is it? It's what am I thinking of? Uh, Sleeper, of course, the Woody Allen film.
1: We could have a special television in all of our homes that broadcasts messages from Boris Johnson. That'd be lovely. I we know, could have I know
2: what, which my television will be permanently set to off.
1: <laughs> we, we could have know. loud hailers on, on all the streets so that you could speak to us throughout the day. Yes. Um, I think the big question for me is would,
2: would Dylan the dog do a better job than Gavin Williamson?
1: Well, I would trust that Dylan the dog in front of my fireplace uh, yes. more, before I would trust uh, Gavin Williamson in front of my fireplace. Let, let's um, be honest,
2: if we hear that Dylan the dog has been the victim of a, of a you know, spider, nasty spider bite, then we, know, <laughs> then we know that he was being lined up to take over education.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, how pets have become political across the, the number 10 cat and um, Obama's yeah. dog. What was Obama's dog called? Was he called Buddy. Think he might have been that was a good dog that was i think it was a cockapoo wasn't it he was a lovely dog yeah and um and of course dylan now and we've got palmerston what's the number 10 cat called oh i don't know it used to be humphrey didn't it yeah but but they um you know and they've become a thing and yet gavin williamson has seen all these lovely furry cute animals and has gone for chronos the spider well <laughs> <to spider. laughs>
2: yeah. i do i do think there is an element of affectation don't you to the to the spider if, he, if Dylan took over from Gavin Williamson, he could outline that his priorities were defecation, 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 which I think <laughs> will be tremendous. And then, you know, who were dog dog politicians as well. Surely dog politicians is something that would come up on a podcast done by two middle aged men. Well. Ken Clark, a <laughs> law, obviously. There you go. Anyway, send us send us some in if you uh, if you
1: can be bothered. Uh, um, yes, indeed. Well, I mean, I don't know if Dylan Dog has got any of his pals um, better jobs, or uh, or has, has, has maybe given them a, a contract to go out and dig up some of his bones. Um, yes. But it does seem that the cronyism, um, the cronyism accusations are definitely hanging around aren't they when it comes to this government well there seem to be uh,
2: the euro the vision jackpot the euro millions jackpot on uh, on the night that this podcast goes out on friday night is 144 million um if you want to lower your sights to to 10 of that figure 14.4 million then it appears you can get that by being a friend of hat mancock there is a, a story out um, uh, in various places about a contract for, the, for PPE that was awarded in April that was worth 14.4 million. It was awarded to a firm called C, H and L. Uh, that firm didn't have a website. It was only incorporated in January 2020. Um, but four months later, it was awarded a contract for 14.4 million. The director um, is the Honourable Francis Stanley. Uh, who is a, a, a friend of Matt Hancock or a, a racing acquaintance, Matt Hancock, her husband donated £5,000 uh, to the health secretary. Um, it's, I mean, for some reason, the contract was unfulfilled, uh, perhaps because the firm only started in January 2020 and didn't have a website and the deposit paid by Hancock's department was returned to the government. But, you know, there are, there, are, there seem to be one or two of these a week now, don't there? And, mm. I've noticed, you know, it's hard not to notice the amount of Labour MPs mentioning cronyism inside the Commons and out, and I wonder whether that is because they know that cronyism, you know, it's quite hard to lay a finger on the government uh, during a pandemic, as Keir Starmer is proving, and we talked about this last week. But I wonder whether the idea of cronyism is something that they see as working or they see from internal polling as working.
1: What do you yeah, think? I mean, I don't think any, I don't think anyone is a fan of nepotism, whether they are um, or, or the average folk certainly is not. You know, and I think that goes beyond um, how, you know, how people vote by and large. Um, so, yeah, I imagine that is polling quite well for Labour. I think they've got, they've not, nothing has quite stuck yet. I think there's been a lot of noise around it, but I'm not sure any one particular, there's not the um, duck house or the mo- moment, is there? There's not that moment where people go, Jesus Christ. And perhaps there would have been if there hadn't been all the other things going on at the same time. Um and it does, a lot of it, of course, is, is via health, and that's because of uh, where the where those contracts have needed to be. But I do wonder if the fact that the vaccine rollout is still, you know, we're looking at, we might even get to, by the time you listen to this, but we might even have got to the 15 million. The fact that that's working, and I, I'm not entirely sure how much that has got to do with the actual government. I mean, we've given them fair praise for being quick and getting those vaccines ordered and the... And the uh, and the testing done on them and whatnot, but the actual rollout itself, I think, is down to tireless work by the NHS and good organisation by the army, rather than anything that yes. Hancock is doing. But they are certainly gaining, um, a, a, you know, kudos on the back of that rollout, and that's why they keep they keep telling us the figures quite rightly. I don't blame them. Um, but you know, even even. Uh, you know publications opposed to the government <clears throat> The daily mirror for example is having to say this is working this is happening so of course yeah um so i i just wonder i just wonder whether that will that that will sort of overshadow it it will all not not be not be forgiven i think that's probably not quite the case not be forgiven but be overshadowed by what is a, a, a big success in amongst lots of failures, um, yeah, and but it but it but it is a big success so far. Fingers I, crossed. Well, it
2: it, it, appear, it appears to be, and uh, and thank thank goodness for that. And I, I I do think the cronyism thing will, um, will only really be examined when there's a proper public inquiry into this. But I yes. think you know even even Boris Johnson's worst enemy, and I'm you know I, I don't think we're far from being Boris Johnson's no, worst no. enemies on this podcast, but. I don't think the time to start a public inquiry is right now in the middle of a pandemic and it, as lo- the longer this goes on, the, the more and more chance there is that this you know, public inquiry won't start, let alone finish. Um, on Boris Johnson's watch I think the idea of him being prime minister while when that is reported finally reported I mean it's like Iraq with Blair isn't he was he was long gone um
1: I agree I think that's I think that is the thinking I do I I don't think that Boris Johnson will fight another election um for the Tories so I think that you know that would that would quicken things up but me neither I mean I also I also think that you know the
2: defense the, the twin defenses on cronyism are one, we threw money at anything that we thought would work. Um, And, um, you know, and I've no doubt that um, I've no doubt that, that um, the friend of of Matt Hancock um, who won the contract has got some connection to the medical Mm. industry um, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And, you know, companies were clearly invited to tender for these things, weren't they? So, um, so it didn't just come out of nowhere. And, and the other thing is that, the, you know, the Tory party are always going to say, well, of course, we know business people. We are the we're the party of business. business we, yeah. we we support businesses and we have links in the business community. And of course, you know, lots of Tory MPs come from the business community, you know, as do lots of Labour MPs as well. Yeah. But um, but I think they can they can also do that. Um, I Just before this before... bizarre... Campaign by the Daily Star to to oh well make... we we'll get
1: well, let's 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 keep our powder dry on oh, that okay. because um because we need because Nick will be here any minute but before we get to that Nick and need like to talk Christmas to... isn't it is he coming is, is he here it is, it's <laughs> but before he does arrive before Nick arrives I need to talk to you about how to avoid some other Nicks oh um because yes indeed rather delicate Nicks. subject this um. Because support for this week's New European Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Hey, hey, that was good, is not it? Uh, they're trusted already by more than 2 million people worldwide, or men, um, and uh, and you can join the growing movement Um, to make sure your below-the-waist grooming needs are met. They've just launched in the UK, um, and we've gone years without using the right tools for the job, gentlemen, it seems. Um, And you, yes, you, could be one of the first men in Great Britain to experience their life-changing products. Um, You know, you've got to be careful. You don't want any accidents. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Um, the engineering team there has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And they've just released the new and improved lawnmower Mark III in the UK. It's their third generation trimmer. It features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce accidents while grooming. And uh, it really is premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. And there's waterproof technology, so you can do it in the shower. And it's got an LED light, which illuminates the grooming areas. And this sounds like a lot of fun, to be perfectly honest. It's got a 7,000 RPM motor, but it's very quiet. It's got quiet stroke technology. Um, And let's not forget about the charging stand. So you can show your mower off loud and proud because this is, intelligently designed stand it's very convenient it's a usb uh, powered dock um and hey, listen if you want to experience it firsthand um let's uh let's give you a little offer okay you can get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code new n-e-w go to manscaped.com that's m-a-n-s-c-a-p-e-d.com and <laughs> Make your testies their besties. 20% <laughs> That's a great... That is one of finished. the great commercial wines. I haven't finished yet. Okay. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code NEW, N-E-W, at manscaped.com. M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use the code NEW. And your balls, gentlemen, will thank you. And do you know that your balls will thank you. That is trademarked, really. TM. <laughs> Seriously, it's trademarked. So there you go. You, I think, listener, we've got to episode 199, and you now literally have heard it all. Uh, <laughs> there we go. On the on the um on the on the cronyism thing, uh, and, and the public inquiry thing. Just getting back to that. Yes do just briefly do do you think that if we had a new um a a, a new pm so boris johnson in a year's time perhaps says i got brexit done remember that great success um and you know we're through the 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 midst of the coronavirus and now it's time for me to go and earn enough money to pay for all my kids See you later, uh, which is a lot. What a lot of people, I think, certainly me and perhaps you as well, do so think might happen. And we get a new Tory leader and therefore uh, a crown rather than elected prime minister. Do you think it would be in their um, to their advantage, say that person's Rishi Sunak or whatever, um, to then quickly call a public inquiry and kind of get it out of the way before they get to the election, or do you think they will just do that political thing of here? boot this into the long grass uh
2: well i think it's no i think that i think that whoever the next prime i mean boris johnson might might even do it himself and as it as intimated didn't he early on in the i think early on in the um in the piece intimated that he might even do it himself at the at the right time but if you look at iraq i mean it kind of took it took gordon brown a good year and a half to to you know, it was a priority for Gordon Brown. It was something that he said he would he would do when he when he got the gig. But it took him a good year and a half to to basically announce who was going to run the inquiry, what the scope of the inquiry what was going to be, how it would report, and all of yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, So you know, Boris Johnson could quite easily say, "Well, we will have an inquiry, but it might be left to Rishi Sunak who, or, or whoever picks up the pieces." Mm-hmm. Um, You know. I mean, Jeremy Hunt is clearly on manoeuvres, isn't he? Yeah, I absolutely, think, absolutely. I don't think well, the day goes by without hearing what Jeremy Hunt has had for
1: breakfast. He has got plans. On. He has got plans. He is plotting. Nick Cohen, author, journalist, and uh, TNE favourite, I believe, has joined us. Steve was just telling us a little bit about your piece in the new european why why don't you take that up and tell us a little bit about um you, you know wh- what your thing is this, this is about the sort of the potential or the rise in the right in in europe isn't it
0: yeah well i mean what interests me is this was when covid starts the world of donald trump and michael gove takes a massive massive battery um because suddenly um you desperately need um Expert advice, intelligent people, you can't just get away with telling a pack of lies the whole time. Um, Governments, you know, I think there's one reason why Trump couldn't handle it, was, you know, Prime Ministers, Presidents, popular leaders had to back off and let Chief Medical Officers, Epidemiologists um, uh, share the spotlight with them. And what they said and what they knew and what they did becomes terribly, terribly important. And this is, you know, not the world the populist right likes at all. You know, it wants to just say things like, um, uh, we can tear Britain out of the EU. And and anyone who says your job's going to go or your living standards are going to suffer or the tax base is going to suffer is just a lying elitist in the pay of the EU and so on. And, you know, about the only good thing to come out of COVID was that. But if you look at the EU countries now, uh, radical right-wing parties are making a very strong comeback. And that's partly because um, the EU has failed to deliver. It's failed to deliver on the vaccine distribution and failed to lift the fear of death and the fear of unemployment from people. So COVID... that starts off you know, dealing a big blow to them has now kind of pulled them up from the grave a bit uh by letting them say well look here's the eu uh here are the experts here are the supposed adults in the room and they've let you down really badly why did our government give brussels the power to um uh decide on uh on on, on to sign vaccine contracts why? Why? You know, why have we been uh, and and they have failed us and left us behind? And only us, the parties of the radical right, are are Eurosceptic enough to say this.
2: And where about Where is this sort of manifesting itself, Nick? Because um, it, it is there are some new. Un- I mean, obviously we know about Italy, we know about Marine Le Pen, but there are a few interesting kind of outliers that we um, that have featured in, in your piece
0: yeah we will we, we had a look at we had a look at um what's going on in portugal which is a really interesting country because portugal unlike ev- every other country in the west had no um radical right party everywhere else had one and we can talk about britain how it's partly UK, partly the right conservative party it's sort of a uh, it's not a, a single thing, um, but Portugal didn't. And then in the latest presidential elections, a group emerged from 1% of the vote to 12% of the vote. Just boom. And, you know, I was going through the Portuguese press and looking at how they use COVID. And it was all, well, uh, the elite are getting the vaccines before us. This is a complete mess. The socialist government in, po- in Portugal, forgive me, uh, can't be trusted. So it's just, you know, history never stops, a battle of ideas never stops. And, you know, the idea that was almost a compensation a year ago, thinking, well, at the very least, um, uh, these fools uh, are, 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 are going to take a beating. Uh, an argument that was, you know, greatly strengthened by the defeat of Trump in November, uh, who made such a, an appalling job of COVID because he, you know, started off, denying it as you know you saw right-wing colonists in britain doing oh it's no worse than the flu and then constantly downplaying it and hating everything about it hating the communal action that was needed the reliance on public health that was needed that sort of going or it's it's at least a contested
2: space in in europe now there's i mean you mentioned belgium as well where the 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 ultra-nationalist party is up to twenty six point three percent in the polls, and it's you know that's that's a lead in the polls, isn't it? In in, in Belgium. Oh yeah, it's
0: it, it's uh, uh, the Flemish nationalist party is now you know, ahead by six points of you know, in the PR system of lots of parties. It is it is getting a, 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 a plurality of the vote. Le Pen in in France. You know, you can see a situation where Macron might not fight the next election. He might be so damaged by uh, his own failures on—it's not just vaccine distribution. There's been a huge fuss in France about, which is familiar enough to everyone in, in Britain, I should say, um, about over, over-promising and under-delivering, contradictory advice on masks. The worse, and Macron's. Great selling point at the next election, because you like the traditional left in France can't stand them because they see him as a near liberal <coughs> the the far right and traditional right can't stand them because he's you know modern about uh, uh sexual mores and what have you um but his great selling point was to be well, you might not like my medicine, but I have revived the, french, the stagnant french economy well yeah. you can't say that after covid. Uh, and it may and he he in his own way is becoming like the, the Trumps and le pen saying that the oxford AstraZeneca vaccine for instance doesn't work on the over 65s you, know, you can see him throwing out these lines in a desperate attempt to, to
2: to cover up his own failings are any of these parties expressing what no party here is, is expressing now, but, you know, a quick tour of social media, especially social media that's used by older people like Facebook seems to, um, seems to you know, indicate, which is, it, are any of them expressing a dissatisfaction with lockdowns in general and the reaction to, you know, the, the, the reaction to, to COVID-19 in, in that way? Well, uh, there have been,
0: uh, and it was a, quite an ominous feature, but it was something that is worth noting. It's been anti-lockdown riots in the Netherlands. Yeah. Um, the, although they seem to have died off, and Macron was certainly very frightened of that. Uh, in Portugal, the vote for the extreme right, was, people said, was driven by lockdown fatigue. Um, <sighs> Le Pen Le Pen doesn't quite say that she uses it she's using uh the lockdown to kind of um launder her reputation yeah you know, Le Pen movement comes out of the Vichy collaboration you know its roots lie in in the French far right the collaboration with Vichy in the um the second world war the violent reaction against de gaulle giving independence to algeria it is a genuinely deep uh fascistic movement that's where its origins lie. it's not that now but so she's she's saying things like she's against identity checks and uh and um and you know covid passports and the infringements of civil liberties and um, and so, hoping that voters will look at her in another light and say, "Oh, well, that's quite a liberal position to take." If you see what I mean, it's yeah. sort of quite. So you can adopt new poses as the as the long crisis rolls out. I should say, yes, but you know, I mean, it could could be in a few weeks' time, the EU will have got its act together. There'll be mass vaccinations going on uh, uh, over on on, on Europe's four hundred and fifty mil, million citizens, and you know the story will be, will be overtaken by events. You've got to hope it will, because it's going to save people's lives and save people's jobs. But it's nevertheless, it's interesting. I, I find it because, a bit of a good discipline to, to write that for you myself, because I got, and I still am, you know, so despairing of what, what my country has done to itself. That there's a side of you that kind of think wants to let the EU off the hook almost. Hmm. Does that make sense? That you yes. kind of you kind of want to say. We are uniquely stupid, uh, and the EU is the grown-ups in the room. But actually, in, in this instance, it hasn't been. It's always a lesson to you that, you, in my view, anyway, that you should you should be very hard on your own side. You should make very very clear that they can do what they promise they do because if they fail then your enemies succeed and that's sort of happening in europe a bit or to some extent
2: yes it's definitely what is 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 happening and i think it's we we talked about this on the podcast last week but i think that is an important lesson for people who voted remain and and um, and, and to and buy the new european and listen to this this podcast um you know, I think, you know, all we, we've seen all bureaucracies are inefficient. And in, in this case, the, the, the EU has, has proven to be amazingly um, inefficient.
0: Yeah, I mean, basically it took on a job that was not guaranteed to fail, but always likely to fail. Um, that there was no EU-wide medical competency. There was no experience of dealing with big pharmaceutical companies uh, there was some back covering going on because there were awful delays as they said well who's going to be liable if something goes wrong and the british government you know may have behaved appallingly in this crisis in many ways but at least matt hancock and his people had the sense to say we're just going to need vaccines mm-hmm. this is not a time for for back covering this is a this is a crisis and and got on with it and the eu was thinking well you know, it has some good motives. We don't want member states fighting each other over who gets a vaccine and pushing the price up. But it was also thinking this is a moment when we can see the EU coming to, it, to its own, which is fine, as long as you can
2: deliver. And, and it didn't. That's right. That's right. Um, it would be remiss of us not to... Uh, it's such a treat to have you on, and thanks for coming on. It would be remiss right of there, us... To let you go without without talking about a, a, another couple of of issues because obviously you've you know with uh, with your uh, your long and great career um, the first is the first which we also talked about last week was is kind of Labour's positioning during the the pandemic um, and how Keir Starmer has performed in your mind uh, are the difficulties that he is facing real or are they being overcooked by uh by people within the labor party who don't like Keir Starmer and don't like what he stands for and and what is the what what is the, the what's the what's the positioning of the, the labor party what positioning can the labor party take during this pandemic well
0: uh let's 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 get some facts down labor in december of 2019 not so long ago is led to a catastrophic defeat. People say it was his worst defeat since 1935. In some ways it's worse than 1935 because in 1935 Attlee was clearly leading a Labour Party that was on the way up where Corbyn and Macdonald were just taking the Labour Party down and down. Since then Labour's back at you know, around about parity in the polls. Keir Starmer has built, you know, gets great ratings for his leadership abilities. So that's also good. There are huge problems that the opposition party has, unless it's going to go nuts like Marine Le Pen uh, in the pandemic, of you want what the government says it wants. You want people not to die. You want the health service to work. You want the vaccines to be delivered. And um, uh, so you oppose as Starmer has opposed, I think, rightly, incrementally, issue by issue. There's a further problem that, in a sense, you know, you talk about people in the Labour Party who don't like Starmer or journalists. I mean, it's a very fashion at the moment for writing the what's wrong with the Labour Party? column. You know, it, it, you
1: know there's,
0: there's fashions in commentary just as in, uh, in 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 clothes, and and this is. That's definitely this year's, this week's column to write is what's wrong with the Labour Party. Mm. Um, uh, uh, but the real problem, it seems to me, um, is and it's one that's soluble, is sort of what happens next with Labour. The Tories are really, really counting on. You've got to understand that most people are not giving Labour a hearing at the moment. They've got, we've got other things to worry about, you know, Labour Party members, newspaper journalists might want to write about it or obsess about it. The public is really not that interested. It's interested in the crisis. Uh, and, you know, Labour, if Labour appear in it, their faults at all, uh, I don't know. What happens afterwards? The Tories are banking on when people see more of Starmer and Elise Dodds and the Labour front bench, they won't like them. I think that's, that's, well, that's a hell of a gamble for the Tories um I think uh, I think they'll come over very well. Um, the problem as I see it and for what it's worth is not you know this week's turbulence in the press or um, uh, or uh, you know what uh, the far left says. Uh, I think what the far left says is irrelevant. now the problem is is does labor have, both a strategic plan and a day-to-day operational plan, if I can explain. Does it have a guide of what it's going to do for the next two years? Yeah, these are the issues we want to do. Here's how we're going to do it. I don't think it has. And this is to take you back into the, admittedly, rather faddish and uh, and ephemeral world of, of Westminster Journalism. They don't have, and they 've never had really ever since they've been in opposition or um they don't have just the people who can fight who can fight on the other end of the street if you like, the people who yeah you're you you're an editor of new you're editing European. you think you want to do something about how awful pretty Patella is because you think she is awful, and you have good grounds for thinking you're awful <laughs> there's no one in labor you can phone up and you can say. Uh, right, OK, we're doing this, we're thinking about that. And then Labour would say, oh, yeah, but Jasper, look, we've done all this research on this, on what you've done, and how this promise turned out to be a pile of steaming donkey poos and that. <laughs> and Labour used to have all that. When it was in opposition in the 90s, before most people listening to this programme were born, but I was actually working, um, they were so hot. They were so hot at just getting information out, researching yeah, so on the one hand, I don't know if they've got a long-term... I might be doing this, service, but I don't know if they've got a, a long-term plan. The leader opposition has got a long-term plan for the next two years. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Everyone's going to work together for that. And I also, right, I don't know, I do know, in fact, they still haven't really got the, if you like, scrapping, the, the street fighting stuff, the day-to-day... Uh, um, uh, let's give to what we're we going to give the a- Tories are kicking me on now, the people spotting where ministers going wrong, talking to journalists, getting good MPs on news nights to hammer the message home that doesn't seem to be there either so that's, that's to me is, 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 is what's missing not some, you know, giving off some, uh, pretending you're an Old Testament prophet or clairvoyant who can see the future and saying Labour's doomed already, when, you know we're three years before a general election that guess strikes me as it's either wishful thinking from journalists who are already Tories, or it's just you know, people uh as i say jumping on this week's bandwagon
1: yeah fill, fill in white space it has felt a little bit like that actually the, yeah, the yeah last week i think we love it um nick just before you go and we know your time is very precious and we do appreciate your time but um gb news i presume you've been approached to probably host the show on gb news no, I, you? I mean, astonishingly <laughs>
0: Sonny, this, this 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 shows you why it's doomed to fail. I haven't been.
1: <laughs> what do you what do you think? Because obviously there's been a lot of noise around people trying to get advertisers back or stop advertisers going on there and this kind of thing. What what what's your sort of view on it? Is, is it doomed to fail or
0: or I don't know. The... Um, uh, I I don't you know as a as a working journalist who relies on you know people like you, Jasper, getting advertisers to pay to pay to pay for the clothes on my back. I don't like appetite brands, and we'll have to see what it's like. Uh, what I think is very ominous, and I'm not criticising any particular organisation, is this. We used to have, we have, according to law, broadcasting rules in Britain that say you've got to show due impartiality and and accuracy. That is the law. Uh, Ofcom already has rather... Um, uh, has rather sold the farm on this in my view, gives Putin's propaganda service, Russia Today, a broadcasting license, Britain, mm. when there's no sense it's anything other than the propaganda space. We've now got Boris Johnson breaking, twisting all the rules to put Paul Dacre in in Ofcom. Uh, now, Paul Dacre was whatever you thought of him, he's a hugely successful editor of the Daily Mail. Mm. But one thing he wasn't, was fair, impartial, and balanced. And if any Daily Mail journalist had suggested that he ought to be fair, impartial, and balanced, he would have been balled out and probably fired. Uh, so they're putting him in charge of Ofcom. They're rigging the system, incidentally, uh, because um, public appointments, there's laws governing that. So they're kind of... You know how... Uh, uh, Yeah, Republicans in the south of America engage in voter suppression to stop um, candidates turning up. This government, the Tories, engage in candidates suppression. They say whether it's chair of the BBC, Dacre Ofcom, the new chair of the Electoral Commission, they just leak it normally to a very um, obliging journalist on the Telegraph. They leak, yeah, we're going to make Paul Dacre chair of Ofcom. Well, actually, they're meant to wait until loads of qualified applicants have been interviewed then two names are put forward of course if you're a qualified applicant you're not going to apply for a job when when you read that in the telegraph you're going to say this is already stitched up i'm not going to go through the humiliation of doing an interview and getting my hopes up when the whole thing's a charade and i'm just there to make up the numbers i'm not going to do it and they're doing this time and time again so i think that what is going to happen is leaving aside uh it called Team GB? GB TV.
2: <laughs> the GB, GB News. GBH.
0: You know, uh, uh, leaving aside for three hours in the evening with with Andrew Neil, uh, I think that what they're going to do is bring in the American TV, and they're going to do it by rigging the system by putting in wholly unqualified people. Which, you know, I'm not having a go at Paul Dacre or saying you know, he's Hitler or anything. I'm just saying he knows absolutely nothing about the web, about the net, about all the issues of regulation, about 4G, 5G, you know. I mean, the only G he knows is probably the GGs. But, you know, it's it's sort of that is what they're going to do. And they think that just as the majority of the press is owned by rich men and is pro-Tory, if they do that to television, they'll get the same thing. I mean... I should say that the right believes as massively that the reason they don't win is not because their ideas are stupid or wrong or offensive or are never going to work. It's because the liberal media brainwashes people. Just as the left believes that the reason they keep losing is not their fault because nothing could be their fault. It's because the tabloids brainwash people. It's an absolutely identical mindset and it's a mindset that I think will destroy... One thing that's pretty good about Britain, about Britain actually, that we do have, yeah, within all the frailties of human nature, we, we do have reasonably good, balanced, accurate broadcast news, and I think they want to get rid of that.
1: Well, Nick, that's a fairly gloomy way to end. But... <laughs> well, I'm not here to cheer you up, Justin.
0: You wanted something to cheer you up. Could you, you, could you close there? on a song? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, in my old age, I've taken up running. I've become an obsessive runner, and uh, and I've downloaded and I'm making all these Spotify playlists. I and mean, it's just every now and again, I'm, I'm sort of out running the streets of London. I'm, you know, singing along to something. I think, Jesus Christ, a man your age. I mean, what on earth do you
1: think you're doing? <laughs> I mean, in every
0: sense. But, uh, yeah, so, I, I, so I Nick, tell yeah, us what I mean, what is musical? this.
1: Sorry? What's your what's your what's your favourite music to run to then?
0: Oh wow! Now you go. Um, uh, I've got into I've gone to loads of stuff really. I've got into I've got into sort of 90s zeros rock bands. I was too old to listen to the first time, like the Killers and Cage uh, the Elephants or something. And I'm doing, and then I've got lots of lots of women singers, uh, lots of girl breakup songs, which are often really powerful and really get you going. So
1: I've got tons of
0: stuff. Well,
1: that's a fascinating insight into I've what's actually, in your I've ears,
0: actually, Nick. I've, I've actually got Spotify playlist called, called Running Music for Centrist Dance,
1: <laughs> which is
0: quite the hippest playlist you're ever going to see. You can imagine.
1: Oh, perhaps you could share that on your social media and we could I link to I it. Could, yeah. <laughs> um, listen, an absolute joy, Nick. Thank you so much for your time. We, we loved your pleasure. piece. We loved your All piece right. in, the, in the paper, and I'm sure there'll be plenty more. Um, thanks very much for your time, Nick. All right, Jasper. There you go. That was uh, that was Nick 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 Cohen referring to me as Jasper Copping. If there was, I, I'd be delighted to be Jasper Copping because he's a wonderful man. But I am oh, alas, not Jasper. Coppin. Oh, <laughs> well,
0: well, for well, the I'm on my iPad. I can't see anyone.
1: That's, that's all right My name's not on there either because I'm the I'm the horse. Oh, um, but <laughs> but never mind. You 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 get back to your running. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs>
0: I'm so sorry.
1: Not at all. I've been called far worse on this podcast. Dude, um, so what, that is... You've been called is,
0: worse than Jasper. I'll
1: would, I would take, oh, I would take being you. called Jasper Cuppin as a great compliment. Is it really? <laughs> it is is, he's the absolutely. boss. <laughs> he's, he is indeed the boss. <laughs> well, I thought he might be. <laughs> <laughs> take, take care, buddy. Nick. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Nick. Um, let me turn to, um, to you, Steve. Um, with regards to GB News, because this is the sort of thing that fascinates me and probably Jasper, actually, um, uh, uh, because I am absolutely tearing my hair out with the likes of Femi. I know a lot of you guys will love w- w- by trying to get advertisers to boycott this channel. Well, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I mean, I'm 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 not really a fan of
2: the people behind GB News or the people who are going to present GB News. Um whether GB what have you got need, against Colin
1: Brazier,
2: I can't really get excited about Colin Brazier. <laughs> you know, Andrew Neil, no, and I mean, if if Dan Wharton has, has ever said an interesting thing in his life, then um, then I, I must. Uh, Dan Wharton is an interesting I appointment. I must have missed it. But, but, but you got um, simply some, repeating to... woke snowflakes to me does not make an
1: interesting. <laughs> Uh, to be fair to the pads he he is a fantastic interviewer, and he's put Tories to the sword just as many times as he's put Labour to the sword on the BBC. Yeah.
2: I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've got to say that he's that I do feel that his contribution to, to um, British political culture has been slightly overstated, although not by Andrew Neil. Uh, I am, um, you know, it is. Campaigns to the the Femi campaign and and other campaigns stop funding hate. I think has taken on some really uh, good targets. I think it is slightly strange in this case to uh, to be launching a campaign against a channel that hasn't started yet. Yeah. Um, the the lineup of people Colin Brazier I think is, is is really good but not very inspiring. The lineup of people. Um, doesn't fill me with enormous confidence it doesn't fill me with enormous confidence either that that uh uh, that and, uh what's he called angelos uh, frangopoulos is the, the ceo he ran um sky news australia which you know in the night in the evening turns into a sort of fox news light with people like andrew bolt who we've mentioned definitely mentioned on this podcast before and um, and Sky News um, Australia appears to have had a very good uh, few couple of years um, growth on Facebook and YouTube with um, pumping out stuff um, about Trump um, and You uh, don't
1: want to pump out a Trump Well, you really you really don't want to do
2: that um, now All of these people Andrew Neil and uh, Angelos uh, Frangopoulos other people involved in GB News are making the point that um, GB News is going to be independent, that there is going to be, um, that there are checks and balances in our system that there aren't in, in America. Nick Cohen was just talking about
1: these kind of things. Yeah, I think the but, simplest way to explain that is that the print media in, in the UK is much more similar to the broadcast media in in america isn't yeah. it in that you get you get a, a channel like uh, cnn for example that is more centrist or slightly left-leaning and and of course left and right are very different in in america as well um you know when you get when you get the likes of uh bill clinton and and oh well barack obama being referred to as socialist by americans i think he would they would probably uh certainly not come anywhere near close to being socialist in this country but uh, that's kind of how it works so Fox News as I'm sure you're all aware is very much Trumpian and, and right-wing
2: yes and, and that's and the Sky fear is Australia? It? I think from my I mean clearly I'm not in a position to watch Sky News Australia my impression of that is that it it, it, it provides it provides a news service during the day and then in the as we head into the evening much as Fox News does um in in america but as we head into the evening it becomes more and more personalized and there are more and more sort of um soapbox things in the manner of fox news uh in america and um you know america used to have a thing called equal time american broadcasting used to have a thing called equal time um where you know you had to if you had five minutes of, of somebody on um, saying one thing, you had to have five minutes of somebody on saying the other thing. If you had a, a Republican there on your panel, two Republicans on your panel, you had to have two Democrats, you know, and you can imagine um, how that went. And that was removed during the Reagan presidency um, after a lot of lobbying led by uh, Rupert Murdoch, who, of course, later on would set up um, Fox News. Um, now, we've still got, you know, as, as Nick said, there is uh here there is um off to protect the the idea of balance and G- gb news have said this is going to happen angelus uh, frangopoulos has has said that it is going to be balanced and it is going to be independent he also said by the way that that gb news is going to serve british communities who feel poorly represented by mainstream television media mm. especially outside london and i just you know people talk about us being out of touch does Angelos Frankopoulos really imagine that there are loads of people in Sunderland going, sitting there going, I feel poorly represented by mainstream television media. I, I really don't think that that is a thing at all. It, um, there's a
1: flip side to this though, isn't there? And But just
2: on the balance thing, I think we already are seeing the erosion of this, you know, um, there is a, well, look, talk, talk radio, um is is i mean I, i've appeared several times on talk sport uh talk Ladies Radio, and gentlemen
1: just, this is steve anglesey about to bite the hand that feeds his <laughs> sister
2: station well no i'm but i'm 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 making the i'm making the point and and some of these people you know i i i well mike graham i, I know in respect ian collins i i um you know I, i've i've uh, spoken to and and um uh, and have a lot of time for james whale I, i've spoken to um, in the past but talk radio's daily schedule in uh, it starts with james max who is a, a brexiteer right wing uh, in the morning then it then we have julia hartley brewer mm-hmm. then we have mike graham who is a you know a a controversialist but you could say comes at stuff from a, a left a right wing perspective then you have um dan wharton uh you or you had dan wharton at drive time um before he departed for gb news then you have james Whale. all of these people are coming at stuff as from a right-wing perspective and simply because you have ian collins um on at lunchtime who is not a right winger and you have a balance of calls does that really mean that you are entirely balanced Um, And obviously, you know, in the weekend you have people like Penny Smith on. I mean, it's a good set. You have Kevin O'Sullivan on Talk Radio, as you would imagine, is a really is a good radio station. But you know, if you if you're balancing people, by it's it's, I guess it's the the same as people said about LBC, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know you are, all right you've got Nigel Farage you've got Nick Ferrari you've got Jacob Rees-Mogg you've got all these sort of other people expressing this thing hey but hey you know in the morning show in the second or third highest profile uh, thing you've got James O'Brien does uh, mm. you know is that is that balance so i'm a bit concerned about gb news I, but as i as i mentioned before i would also be concerned about whether gb news is has got a, you know, has it, is it sustainable? GB News, Sky, Sky News, I think we, we, we've been
1: told is now making a loss, isn't it? I think it's been making a loss for some time. Your own does, News makes a loss, yeah. you know. Um, well, I mean, it, it's not that, well, it probably is that long ago now, but it, as I get older, things seem to <laughs> seem to, uh, it's like objects in the rearview mirror, isn't it? I mean, ITV used to have initially on 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 satellite or whatever had a twenty four hour news channel as well, didn't it? And that died fairly exactly. quickly. Exactly, you know, because,
2: C- because CNN then- doesn't pay to be on Freeview and the um, and the Sky um, network mm. doesn't doesn't pay for those licences, so it's obviously not worth it.
1: It for is. A, I think for Sky it's more it's a it's a brand thing as much as anything else, isn't it? I guess. I mean, well, like
2: I, I would get I would guess so. But whether the, you know, and we know that there are others coming as well, whether whether this country is really crying out for a, um, you know, a different news network or a right wing news network or a independent news network, as they as they say, I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I mean, I do know that, that LBC and, and Talk Radio have been very successful. Yes, they're right. They have.
1: And I imagine that is p- partly where this is, this idea has grown from. Yes, I would imagine um, so. Of course, yeah. we did have the likes of, and I've got nothing against Femi. I mentioned him again. But apart from, I think that we shouldn't be cancelling channels before they even launch. Um, and I don't like targeting advertisers. Um, but, you know, the... Those people also moaned about having Nigel Farage on question time 22 times, quite rightly. But if, but it, there are strange things that happen when you've absolutely got to have balance. So if you've got, you know, if you're doing a, if the BBC are doing a story about Brexit, they have got to have a lever and a remainer on. Well, it, climate change has been the other one, hasn't exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah, I that mean, that is actually the perfect example, isn't it? Climate change, a perfect example. Um, so it's a little bit more nuanced and i think people have just got to be careful about going i don't i don't agree politically with well i've no idea colin Brazio, i'm going to leave out of this conversation but andrew neil and dan Wharton, i don't i don't agree with them and therefore this this channel shouldn't be on tv um, because I, I because the flip side of that is if we stop um, if we stop people having uh, media products with with different opinions to theirs, then there would be no new European. Um, you know, it, it's worth bearing that in mind. Okay. Uh, oh, I tell you what, quickly, Steve, where are you going on your holidays? Oh, well, <laughs> well, I was going to go to Cornwall, but I've, I've, but I've heard that
2: Mancock might be going to Cornwall now, <laughs> you know so, I'm not, so. so I'm not going to go. Um, I mean, just, um, just before, we, uh, before we head into the Hall of Shame, um what do you what do you make of all of this i mean we can talk about what we expect the changes to be at more a greater length next week but obviously february the 22nd or the week of we're going to hear more about this roadmap out of lockdown what are you what do you is this is, this a, is the holiday thing a, a total shambles what else are you expecting well
1: to I, I think that the holiday thing is a shambles and you know i've taken phone calls today and yesterday and yesterday from um because i have a day job as well um and you know which is is um political and business reporting and you know there are businesses out there who are desperate to get people back who desperately need some cash flow who start who are taking bookings for the summer because people are also desperate to have something to aim for a hope you know and i'm talking about you know staycations is a strange word isn't it but uh, but holidays in this country who are now, and now government ministers are on TV going, don't book a holiday. I mean, I just think it's a bad, I just think it's a bad look. All the insurance and, you know, last year there was absolute chaos because holidays were cancelled and everyone had to struggle and get their money back and the, a lot of the holiday firms were saying, we well, have vouchers, et cetera. That seems to have been sorted this year. And the holiday firms are desperate to get some cash in the bank and desperate for people to come. However, if they have to give them the refunds, then people know now, people understand that they're taking something of a risk by booking a holiday in this country or even booking a holiday abroad because holiday bookings for abroad are still going ahead. People are still booking holidays um, abroad. But you do it knowing that there is a risk. And if it has to be cancelled, then, well, you took the risk. You knew it was perhaps only 50-50 or whatever, but you took the risk. You knew about it. I don't see why... We would be telling people not to book holidays. It just seems it seems, like anti, it seems anti-business to me from a party who claims it is pro-business. It just seems like a very silly move. And as I have said perhaps a million times in this uh, podcast, one hundred and ninety-nine episode lifespan, holidays are massively important to the public of Great Britain. And if Remain had have just told everyone that their holidays were going to be more expensive after Brexit, they would have won. So politically, don't start cancelling people's holidays. No, let's not start that. That's my view. <laughs> there you go. Good. <laughs> I haven't I haven't booked anywhere. Um, but me, you and Hat Mancock in Cornwall would be a nice little We're all job. going surfing together. Yeah. Hat Mancock. <laughs> the Beach Boys B-side there. <laughs> so, Right then, let's take a little breather and then we will enter the Hall of Shame. Welcome back. Uh, Steve, let's quickly dive into the Hall of Shame. Hall of Shame. We need to Uh... jingle Hall of Shame.
2: Yeah, we need a a jingle for the Hall of Shame. The first one. person going into the Hall of Shame this week is whoever thought that sending <laughs> Prince Edward to Scotland was a good idea to save the union. Apparently, <laughs> um, this came out of Downing Street last year. It's just been reported this week, though. Uh, they are um, rightly alarmed at the SNP going up in the polls calls for a new independence referendum i mean i don't know if you saw the poll that came out thursday but the the smp um are down four percent um but um but still you know well ahead and, and so is the idea of independence uh, so the idea was cooked up by somebody in downing street we know not who to send prince edward and his mm-hmm. wife uh, sophie the countess of wessex to scotland uh in order to turn all this around Um, They would have taken up full-time residence in uh, Holyrood Palace, the Queen's official residence in Scotland. would have been more royal engagements there. I don't know whether they were planning a sort of Scottish-only it's-a-royal knockout um, with kind of, you know, Scottish people out from Taggart and uh, the Crankies and that kind of Scottish stereotype that people love so much. Um, It's just an incredibly bad idea, especially when you realise... That people called Edward, royal people called Edward, don't have a great reputation in Scotland. Edward the Second, of course, lost at Bannockburn. Edward the uh, First, not remembered fondly, the Hammer of the Scots. Uh, and I did wonder whether this might be the first uh, sign of Dylan the Dog making his. Um, presence felt, uh, maybe he barked that we sent Prince Edward up there uh, and, uh, to Scotland maybe like the talking dog in That's Life that said sausages, but it really is so bad like... an idea that I don't think
1: even Dylan the dog could have thought no. about it He would have been shaking, he said putting his little paw over his over his eyes uh, and just shaking his head
2: Who should we send? Yeah, oh no, no what have I said now? Like uh, like him, Vic Reeves's big night out um, Anne Whiddicombe is already in the Hall of Shame from last week <laughs> like, but she's going in again. Uh, Did she,
1: does she have to leave
2: and then re-enter? Basically, she has to go out the back door and then come in again, the front door. Oh, okay. uh, I've been reading at some Anne Widdecombe this week from her Daily Express column. A, a huge supporter of women, isn't she, Anne Widdecombe? My heart sank when I opened my paper and read that Boris Johnson was contemplating promoting women in the next cabinet reshuffle, um, says Anne Widdecombe. Uh, The thought being that if women do not speak on the big Sunday political problems, then the government is failing to engage with half the electorate. What patronising pathetic rot, she continues. All that matters in a job is that he or she is the most capable person. Once the PM abandons that criteria... A second or even third rate government is guaranteed. Well, Anne, I've got news for you about the rating of the current
1: government. Promises, promises. She continues.
2: Yes, we dream of a second or third rate government instead of the seventh or eighth rate government we have now. She continues. In another piece, sorry, I am not impl- applauding the law, which will enable Suella Braverman, the attorney general to take six months maternity leave. Government cannot just absent itself. Supposing Winston Churchill had been a pregnant woman. Well, to be fair, he did have the belly for it, didn't he? She says uh, she continued, you might as well uh, as well have generals going on maternity leave in the middle of a battle
1: oh um, whatever you silly billy I
2: mean, where, <laughs> where to even begin with this I, I will say that it is quite something that suella braverman is going to be allowed to take on paid maternity leave when, on full pay um when other mps are not allowed that no. and in, the general
1: population the general is in the is not yeah uh, A quick one before we move on to your, I think you've got another another person to I've sling got the into the whole shit. shit. Yes. Um, but if, 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 you, if you haven't, I don't know if you asked, but if you, the listener, hasn't, when this podcast is finished, check out Gary Jones, who's the new editor, new-ish editor of the Daily Express on the media show, um, talking about how he squares his personal beliefs with editing the Express and how the Express is changing. And listening to him, I do wonder, um, about how long um, Anne Whittacombe's express column will continue.
2: Oh, that's interesting. Very mm. interesting. Mm. Uh, the third entrant to this week's Hall of Fame, um, the Hall of Fame, Hall of Shame, is, oh. is, is, is our old friend Kate Hoey. Oh, she got a life peerage. She, she didn't stand for Labour last time, did she? She got a life peerage for supporting Brexit uh, in Boris Johnson's People Who Supported Brexit Honours <laughs> List. Uh, I think it was called. And she is rightly concerned about um, what's happening on the island of Ireland. Uh, We've not really tackled that this week. We will tackle it next week uh, when things become clearer. uh, Hopefully things will become clearer. She said uh, the things she said this week include nobody is speaking up for Northern Ireland. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Conservative MPs voted for the deal, not really understanding what it means. It's threatening the future of the uh, union between Britain and Northern Ireland. And while I hate to say I told you so, we did say that this was going to happen. And people like Kate Hoey said it wasn't going to happen. And the Telegraph uh, in, in May of 2016 published an article uh the headline of it was brexit won't hurt northern ireland at all instead it will brighten its future and that was written by of course by kate hoey um so you know kate hoey is in the hall of of, of shame um and uh and let's hope that these these difficulties on the the island of ireland which Remain has said all along would occur mm. um, are cleared up
1: in some mm. way um it's it's a i mean it is so important, so important. It's, so,
2: it's so important, but it's, you know, it cannot be, it, could, it shouldn't be, uh, they can blame the EU all they like, they can blame Boris Johnson all they like, they can blame the fact that they didn't have enough time to scrutinise the bill all they like, but it is Brexit that is to blame for this, you know, or Boris Johnson's interpretation of Brexit,
1: certainly. You need um, to get, we cannot, we cannot... We cannot throw away more than twenty years of good work. Absolutely, we cannot. We cannot let that happen. Um, Just quickly, just quickly, Steve. What have you been watching on the telly, listening on the radio, reading on the old book? Uh, At the moment, I am reading on the old book. As everyone needs some tips,
2: the. I'm reading the new uh, Walter Mosley book uh, that is, and I'm struggling to remember what it's called now. It must um, be brilliant. It is called Blood Grove. <laughs> it is uh, another of his novels about the uh, Los Angeles private eye, Easy Rawlings, which started with, um, uh, in the 19. when well, it started Easy Rawlings, um, novel series started in the 1940s with with devil in a blue dress which was filmed with uh denzel um he's now in the sort of the back end of the 1960s um these i mean if you've not read these books they're absolutely superb you know they are about uh the life of black people in america um from the 1940s to to now headed into the 1970s and systematic racism uh they've got crime plots wrapped up uh, in them as well. Big favourites of, of uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, and uh, and it started really, really well. I started watching Zero, 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 um, which has got Andrea Rinesborough, Gabriel Byrne in it. It is a sort of traffic uh, and uh, Ozark-style mm. uh, f- uh, thing about, series about families involved in drug trafficking and drug dealing. I enjoyed it, I've got to say. Uh, my uh, lovely partner uh, less less so but uh, you can check that out Um, and I've also been watching Enlightened on Now TV with um, with Laura Dern and her mum Diane Lane which um, I'm midway through series two I don't know I I, I was kind of unsure about it uh, all the way through season one, and I'm unsure about it halfway through season two. Uh, let me know what you think. You've got you, staying,
1: you... you've got staying power there. If I'm unsure about something for 20 minutes, it goes well, off. Well,
2: I, I, I really, you know, I really like Laura Dern, and I really like Diane Lane as well. So um,
1: sticking so. with it. Well, I've been, I'm loving, absolutely loving the HBO series uh, Watchmen. Um, I didn't read the comic. Great, yes. Didn't read the comic. Did see the film, which I thought was pretty good. I didn't, didn't get well reviewed, but I did quite like it. But the TV series is stonking. They have made, they have created this incredible um, dystopian alternate um, 2019, and it is, it just looks and feels fantastic. And there's some great performance in it as well. It's a lot of fun. Check that can out. I just,
2: can I just say how much I like Diane Lane once again? Because yes. In fact, it's. she's called Diane Ladd, isn't she, Laura Dern's mum, as I've just realised. <laughs> Diane Lane is an entirely different actress. You do um, like them both. Uh, well, I've got to say I like Diane Ladd a lot more than I like Diane
1: Lane. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have to love you and leave you. If uh, if you would like to follow The New European on Twitter, do so. It's at The New European. You can follow me at Porit, Porrit, P-O-R-R-I-T-T, or you can follow Steve Anglesey at... Uh, at Sanglesey,
2: S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Please subscribe to The New European. Go to uk slash subscribe.
1: Thank you very much for your time, ladies and gentlemen. Next week is our 200th episode. We will see you then. Until then, Mr. Campbell, play your bagpipes. Here you go. <laughs>